Hello, this is Sam Electric Ghost. So we have Eleni C on. Hey. Hi. So you can hear me good. Yeah, I can hear you really clearly. Great, great. So I I want to give a little brief intro. I'm Fam Electric Ghost. I am a musician and producer from the U.S. And I've been interviewing indie artists around the world since uh, 2018. And we've got over 20,000 listeners uh, worldwide so far uh, since 2018. And we're glad to have you on the show. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so I was reading your biography and it, on your um, Spotify, and it said that you um, have been at the, you were chosen to represent the UK at the International Music Festival with your original song, Leap of Faith. Um, yeah, yeah, I've done that a couple of years ago. It was um, in Cyprus, and it was such an amazing experience. And luckily, I, um, I won Best Female Vocalist and Best Song. Mm-hmm. And then you uh, you did a European tour, and uh, you basically have a bunch of singles out right now. Um, so the songs I've seen that you're on your Spotify right now are like "I Don't Give a Damn" and uh, "One Last Time." Those are the 2019 releases, right? Yeah, they are. Now, Building Castles. What year is that from? Oh God, Building Castles. Uh, Building Castles, I believe, is uh, 2016. Okay. So there was a little gap between building castles, at least on your Spotify. Um, yeah, there was a big gap because basically when I first started out like with music, I was kind of into like ballads and like mid-tempo songs. But within the past like year or two, let's just say I've kind of had a rediscovery of my style. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why it's kind of taken me so long to release new music because I thought I needed to kind of take time out to figure out exactly kind of where I wanted to go and what kind of artist I wanted to be. Yeah, because um, I mean, yeah, it seems like you, you're integrating like Latin and ethnic undertones. So, yeah. yeah, so that seems like, is that the change you did from the original song you did? Yeah, yeah, I've, I've kind of infused more like of a Latin vibe and more of an upbeat kind of tempo into all of my songs because I just kind of found that I don't know I seem to work well with more like upbeat songs and because I started to listen to artists like Maluma and um, Becky G I just felt a lot more inspired to kind of go down that road Mm -hmm. yeah well this is always interesting rhythmically when you do more complicated rhythmic patterns I'm an African-American so you know you know, we have the whole tradition of the blues and reggae and Caribbean and African music. They have, you know, somewhat complicated rhythm structures. And, you know, jazz is, is like, you know, the American art form is a little bit more intense. And I kind of lean toward like Sun Ra and Davis and Coltrane. Just because if you're going to play keyboards or play an instrument, you know, if you get driven by those things, you have a wide open palette. <laughs> that's you know? so true that's so true that you're not stuck you know now i mean you you could do motown style and there's lots of things you could do with that you know you don't run out of things you could do with that you go all different directions you could go but if you open yourself up to jazz and classical and everything and reggae you just you give yourself more more like a palette like you know i think people are kind of like sound painters and so the more 
Yeah, and also it's like it's also like genres which are kind of timeless. They never get old. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, because there's so much, you know, history in Latin music and Caribbean music. There's a lot of history. There's a lot of great artists that people might not know. And you can kind of pull yeah. from that and then bring some really interesting things. And, and it gives you a little bit of an edge if you're pulling some classic yeah. stuff and it, it's not sampled. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just knowing the structures that are out there and then, you know, maybe they're not heard as much anymore. And so then you can kind of, you know, leverage it. <laughs> exactly. And I just think like with music like that, it's such feel good music and, I feel that, like, in, in the times that we're living in now, I just feel that people are more inclined to listen to music, which, like, makes them feel good. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, there's so many dark things happening today that, you know, doing something like reggae always enlightens people because of the place it comes from. Um, you know, and Latin exactly. music has the same kind of thing going on where anything that, has, you know, funk does too. Like, I'm a big person into, like, funk bands like Sly, Family Stone, Parliament Funkadelic, James Brown. And you can use funk and you can be political with it, but you can still dance to it. So you, you, you can exactly. say something important, but also still have people groove to it. <laughs> exactly. That's the thing. Sometimes it's just nice to not take yourself too seriously. Yeah. It's just, I mean, sometimes you just want to party and you just want to do like, you know, like a 1999 song or a slide in the family uh, or just to like, get on the good foot. You know, that, that's just, you yeah. know, happy. It gets you gets you moving. But just doing it 100%. sometimes is political and just doing it. <laughs> <laughs> very, very true. Um, yeah, so we like to talk to artists about, like, where they started. And so we usually have a whole set of questions. But since you had a bunch of stuff that was out there that I wanted to talk about, we kind of put it out there. I usually ask people, like, <laughs> when did you first get into music and, like, what age? Do you know what? It it's probably like really cliche, but I've always music has kind of always been in me from a child. Like I used to, I used to be that typical child where I'd be like in my bedroom, like dancing around to like either Jennifer Lopez or a Britney Spears number with my hair brushed, pretending that I was them. Mm -hmm. um, and then I would say probably about I was about twelve when I started taking like singing lessons, just kind of for fun because I enjoyed it. And um, I kind of developed, started to, to develop myself as an artist, probably around about the age of like 16, where I, I started to consider, you know, what it would be like to have my own songs. And yeah, and just literally from there, I've kind of been doing music for so many years. But like now, now has been the time where I've kind of got like a writing partner who I write everything with and we just tend to kind of collaborate with other songwriters, other DJs, producers, because it's just always nice to work with like new people because sometimes you get like you get given like a fresh idea that you never would have thought of or a fresh beat or a fresh lyric. So you so the other question I have is like you realize pretty pretty early you had a talent for music, but then there's a lot of people that get into music, but they don't actually write their own music. They don't become like a singer songwriter or a pop star. Um, so when did you decide that you actually had music that you wanted to actually do your own music? That I would probably say that's with my new newest stuff because all my old stuff I didn't write. 
um, I had a writer who done them all for me. Um, and then kind of developing like my new style, I decided to still work with the same songwriter and we kind of became like a duo. Mm -hmm. And we've kind of gone on a journey of writing like these new songs and it seems to be working. That's interesting because I find a lot of times um, the singer songwriters, they, they get to a point where you know, they might've been working, you know, as just a vocalist um, or they might've been in a band and they might've been just a bass player or just a guitarist or a piano player. And then suddenly they decide, you know, I've got my own material and I've got my own vision. And I've always, you know, I like to interview people who are kind of going that way because I always find it very interesting when you get a singer songwriter or somebody that works, you know, that has a a bigger part of their, 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 their image is part of like their idea. I always think that's very interesting because I always look at it like musicians can be like, you know, people who write novels because when you're a singer songwriter, you can't, I can't window into that person's character. And then it has a unique spin and it usually is very satisfying when you listen to people who are in, you know, artists that do that. So I, I'm always like very, um, you know, drawn toward people who do that. <laughs> because you know what, cre- like being creative, writing songs is like, it's, it, it is a talent. Um, being able to be creative is a talent. And for me, I, I, I'm not going to lie, but my like my I wouldn't say that my greatest strength lies in songwriting that's why I kind of that's why I work with my songwriter because I feel that sometimes like I can have an idea of what I want a song to be about but I might not necessarily be able to write it how I want it to come across Mm -hmm. so working with other people has helped me to kind of explore an idea and develop and develop like my sense of writing and my sense of style yeah yeah that's i think that's still it's still cool that actually that you have have a part of it you're you're like you're saying that you're in a duo so you're feeling that you have like you're not just taking somebody's song you're singing you so you you have like ideas right that you're actually working with and maybe having a professional songwriter that that's their talent you know, kind of, so maybe you can kind of give us an example from your new songs, how they came about and like how much of it came from your idea and then the working together. Could I always like find, I like very interesting to talk to musicians and find out how they actually got to the, to the song. So for example, with my first single, One Last Time, it's basically like all about how when you're in love with someone and you give them, chance after chance to kind of you know take your relationship to the next level to kind of make it official and say do you know what we're going to be together and we'll see how this goes Mm -hmm. um but you know when you're always in that predicament where you just never kind of get to that point one last time is all about saying you know what I I love you I want to be with you I'm going to give us one last chance to see if we can make this work Mm -hmm. but that's it like I'm literally not gonna I'm not gonna open the door again this is the last time and this song came about because I tend to I tend to get like ideas and inspiration I draw them from obviously like my own life but also from 
other people's lives, like stories that my friends might come and say to me or things that I read. Mm -hmm. And one last time came to me because um, I had like a friend who was in the exact predicament and I went to my um, songwriting partner and I said to her, do you know what, like, I've I've got this situation and I'm really like I really want to write about it. I wanna I kind of wanna make a song about it. So then we um we like hooked up with um my producer and we went to him with the idea and then he kind of like developed a melody and then we were like actually do you know what yeah this melody we this is the melody that we kind of want to go down like this is this this actually represents like the flavor that we want the song to have Mm -hmm. and then once we heard that the lyrics kind of like um my my lyric my lyric partner Esther kind of came up with like the hook line Mm -hmm. she was like well let's just let's go with one last time like because that's basically what you're trying to say you're trying to Mm -hmm. say I'm giving this one last time. And then, yeah, and then from her hook line, like, I was like, oh, maybe we should, like, put this in. And then she was like, yeah, and then we can write this. And then it just kind of, like, all developed. So, you, ha- you like, a lot of times I talk to, like, you know, bands that are, like, like a four-piece band, you know, like a guitar player, bass player, drummer, vocalist. And sometimes, like, they, they get into the studio and they bounce the ideas. Like, the drummer might have the drum beat. The bass player might have the bass line. And then suddenly, you know, the singer hears a groove and then comes up with the melody or comes up with the hook. So it's a very collaborative effort. But today it's kind of hard because a lot of people are in home studios. The band might not be in the same room. Um, So this collaboration you're talking about, were you actually physically all together or were you doing it like online? Were you all in the same room? (laughs) Yeah, we were literally all physically in the same room, locked in the same room for six hours straight. I think that um, that's a good way to do it. That's kind of old school, but that's I think a really good way to write. Do you know what it is a re- it's a really good way to write, and and a lot of the time, like I wa- I always get asked like, so how how long how long does it take you to like write a song and go from that to kind of having a final song? like what's the recipe and I always say there is no one recipe when it comes to writing a song you can never judge how long it's going to take you or what you're going to come up with because it's a creative process like this song came to us within that six hours my um my second single took over like two two eight two four hour sessions and now the song that I'm working on now we've done like three um four hour sessions on it and we're still not finished mm-hmm. yeah i mean um, what... every artist has a different story on how to do it i mean some artists they just have a vision and it just comes to them you know some artists kind exactly. of do something that takes some hours or days or weeks or months to do something it you never really know i mean i know some artists they have to do jam sessions you know like rock bands they'll do a jam they'll put run the tape for a couple hours then go back and listen to the tape and then pull the hooks out. And then, I've heard, yeah, that's a, that's a classic way of doing <laughs> Exactly. That's like, that's an old school way of doing things. And you know what? Old school, like you can learn a lot from like old school ways. And there's all like also like another songwriter that I know, like she, 
she because she's just like she's just a songwriter she's not a singer she always she said to me that like when when it comes to creating a song like she could literally be fast asleep and she could wake up in the middle of the night and there could be an idea in her head Mm -hmm. and she literally has to go and write the idea down before she forgets it I had like an like I had another songwriter who was like she tend to she tends to kind of like she's more of like um intertwined with like nature so for her to get an idea she kind of needs to be one with nature so she does a lot of like hiking and a lot of like walks in the park yeah and that's how she gets her ideas yeah you never know i mean today if somebody you never yeah which i mean one of the things that i'm a musician but i'm a like a electronic musician but i use analog synthesizers and my analog synthesizers after 20 years they kind of talk to me (laughs) and 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 i use like modular and really old-fashioned synths that are very organic and they kind of every time you approach them they come up with something new and so i have a home studio with all these hardware synths like moogs and profits and rollins and if when the sense i can play keyboard i'll just run jam sessions and i'll just run the tape and then i go back and i pull stuff out that i just keep on running the tape and i keep on running experiments and then i go back and i find the hooks and then i work on what i think sounds good and kind of neil young used to do that the beatles did it the almond brothers like a lot of classic bands yes emerson lake and palmer a lot of bands i'm kind of coming from um in terms of inspiration but yeah, a lot of people, you know, they use like Pro Tools or they can build a whole song like on, on, a, on a, you know, a DAW. But I use my hardware sense to kind of drive performance. And I'll do like Facebook live performances from my studio and then kind of see what the fans think of what I did and then pull out the hooks. <laughs> so so it's a, you know, today you can do a lot of cool things where you can kind of put an idea out and get immediate feedback from the social media <laughs> social media is like social media is insane how it's developed over the past couple of years yeah i could never i used to have to get the whole band and then go to a club and play and then see if anybody liked it or you know have a session in a basement now i can actually do a live session and hit like three thousand people on facebook live in a night and you know and get immediate feedback which is like and the best thing <laughs> The best thing is, is that it's in from the comfort of your own home. Yeah, can you build your home studio and now you can actually send out and see people in Berlin listening, people in Tokyo, people in London. You're like, wow, it's like I, I, you can reach so many people. And, uh, you know, that's what this whole podcast is. But I mean, I've talked to bands in Denmark and Berlin, you know, Canada, you know, like I'm getting ready to talk to a band in South Africa in a, in a, in a couple of weeks. So it's like you, you just can reach people you never could have done that back in the day when I started, you know, in the in the late seventies. You had to go to some club and play covers. <laughs> you yeah, know. the famous the famous covers. Yeah, to play Freebird. <laughs> oh God, I remember! I remember back in the day was when I start when I first started doing gigs. Back when I was um sixteen, I it was like. Um, I had to do like I had to basically do like a set which was practically all covers yeah. and like I could chuck in like one or two originals in like 10 songs and I was like what am I doing like I want to be here singing my own song yeah that's that's always been my whole goal is like you know I'm not playing covers that you know I, 
And I've been lucky. I can go to New York and Boston, kind of close to those places. And there's tons of clubs that still want bands to play original stuff. Um, yeah. And so then those environments in New York City and Boston, you can get into a club, maybe three, 400 seat club and play original material. And, oh, and that, that is like, to me, like if you're a performing musician, that's what you want, you know, to be able to do. Um, and so, yeah, have you played live gigs in, in, in what you're doing? Are you primarily like on, on Spotify and all the social networks or you do live gigs? Uh, no, I do. I do live gigs for me. Um, live gigs is basically where my passion lies. That's the thing that I love to do the most um, performing, really. Um, and I'm just uh, in the process as well now of preparing for my first headline show in London. So do you have a full, um, do you have a full so- band or do you run with a DJ or how, how do you perform? Um, I tend to perform with uh, backing tracks because I perform with dancers. Mm-hmm. So kind of being able to gather everybody together proves to be quite, quite a difficult task. Um, and because I've I've done uh, shows, I've done live shows with like a live band and and stuff like that. But I find that the audience, if there is a choice, they tend to prefer me to be with my dancers. I guess because it's more kind of like visual and um, more interactive in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it depends on the type of music that you're into. I mean, I, I see a lot of music today where, you know, the performance aspects of it require, you know, not using a live band. And so... Yeah, the, see, that's the thing. My, my music kind of requires more dancers than it does live yeah. live instruments, I would say. Yeah, it's a different thing. I mean, I'm coming from, my, like, a progressive... Like, my, my bands I was into were, like, Genesis and Yes. And so the whole thing about the music I do is, is about playing a Moog or about playing a Hammond organ. Kind of like a blues guy is always going to have a guitar, you know, a rock yeah, guy is always exactly. going to have a rock band. It's a different type of genre. Um, but I, I understand, you know, hip hop. I understand, you know, EDM and dance music, trance, there's different genres that don't require that. But, you know, I always think it's cool to see a band actually play like a, like an acoustic guitar and do a set that's intimate just because there's something about when you play an instrument that is its own performance and certain i hundred percent hundred percent agree with you on that there is nothing that compares with pure live music yeah i mean it's cool to to have the performance aspect and i understand when you're doing big festivals you gotta have a show but if you can get to a small club and have somebody playing an acoustic guitar and then a really good vocalist saying whether that's cool or somebody on a piano accompanying somebody that can be very intimate and kind of jazz like or just soulful it, it can have an impact so i've always you know suggested to bands like always give yourself a lot of different ways to do things because <laughs> it depends on your audience certain audience require one thing another audience maybe be a, a, a different thing so you can give yourself a lot of different variations to, to make it you know interesting but um yeah i can understand that. i've talked to like artists like kendra black and she goes out, you know, and alternates between having, you know, performance dancers with her and then sometimes full bands. Depends on the venue. Yeah. Yeah. So I've seen that. Exactly. A more, a more, if it was kind of a more intimate venue, I would, I would take it right. I'd probably strip it down completely and go for like the acoustic feel. Um, because, yeah, I do, I do love doing a good, like, raw acoustic set as well. So, 
Um, so when did you first start playing live? Was it back in like 2016 when your first stuff came out or before that? Yeah, yeah, 2016. Um, I, I'd say 2016 was quite a like a, a poignant year for me because that's when I started to do like, I had quite um, big shows. I got to perform in Birmingham Arena. I done like a fireworks event with like 15,000 people. But then prior, prior to that, um, was when I represented like the U- UK in the international um mu- at the international music festival, and um prior to that I was kind of just doing a lot of like open mic nights around London. So yeah, I've been doing live performances for many years now. Yeah, that's cool because um, you know, I started out when I was in my teens, you know, with like punk bands. You know, like indie rock bands, like trying to be like the replacements or REM. <laughs> um, college, yeah. college radio was the big draw for me. And I've always been like, you know, I like guys like Jimmy Page and Hendrix and, you know, that type of thing. So performance from an instrument point of view was always what I was into. But, but and just playing live with other guys, you know, or other bands. Or, lately, I've been able to, like when I was in the 70s, I was always like in band with guys. But lately, I've I've actually collaborated with a lot of women artists, um, and a lot of indie, a lot of artists that are in the indie arena. There's a lot of cool stuff happening. It's you know there are more female artists doing cool things <laughs> than back in the day when it's like everybody was like you know it was a bunch of guys. But now I've been, I actually worked with a lot of different people uh, and a lot of women in the last like two years, uh, which is pretty cool. It's not not what I started doing, you know, but. The, the rock world has changed. <laughs> yeah, the rock world, music in general has changed. Like, it just keeps on changing. Yeah, you get, like, artists, like, like you know, I, I love Tori Amos, I love Liz Fair, Juliana Hatfield. I was into those bands. But now you see even more and more, uh, you know, female-led artists, you know, or, or groups that are doing really cool things. Uh, and some more innovative than, like, the classic rock area which is kind of stagnant. Um, it, you know, it hasn't gone that hasn't really evolved. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, I, it's interesting. I, I find that I find like, like rock, like Motown, like jazz, they're, they're kind of like timeless genres. They don't really, they don't really need to change because people like people love that kind of music like even as generations grow and like even as you see like the younger generation they're all still touched by these kinds of genres i find that the only one that that's like constantly changing is is pop because obviously pop is like popular music and it moves with whatever's kind of current yeah in society at that given time but i i, I find it quite like amazing and really nice how like like jazz and and like motown music like they they're just they're not spoiled no those styles i think have so much you know complexity to them and you know yeah they're just so they're deep. deep they're pretty deep in the structure i mean if you look at a motown drummer has capabilities that no drum machine can have <laughs> you know if you look if you actually listen to the drum beats on those you know motown and stacks soul records the drummers are amazing i mean the the ability of those drummers to make beats uh and they're that's a human being doing that beat and 
they're very complicated and they seem simple, but they're not. There's a lot of stuff going on with those. And so that that's like jazz. I mean, a lot of the guys in Motown were jazz guys or blues guys. And so they brought those blues techniques into that genre. And you, you listen to that, a lot of those deep cuts from the Temptations or the Four Tops or Smokey, they're really sophisticated in terms of what's going on. Um, and some of that gets lost today with all the use of drum machines. I've always kind of been a big proponent, like if you can get a real drummer, <laughs> use a human drummer. <laughs> Go with the real. Well, just because the real drummer can, if they're good, they can bring all kinds of cool techniques that, you know, you might not be able to do that on a drum machine. There's cool things you do on a drum machine. There are innovative things you can do, but there's nothing like a real rhythm player. Um, no, 100%. But, and that's why those genres are so people still love it because when they go to them, they, they can't really get tired of a Smokey and the Robinson in a Miracle song or a Temptation. No, you catch, you, you get, you, you, you get a rawness. Yeah, there's just a lot of emotion. There's a lot of depth in those songs. You know, there's a lot of, you know, feeling. They put heart and they actually are well written. I mean, they tell stories and you know what's going on. It's pretty, and it's, and the voices are so good. Like the, the, the vocal capabilities of those singers or like top notch you know it's kind of the era where you had to be a good vocalist um to even get a contract um so yeah. the people who are singing are like unbelievable in, in terms of the range you know you got five octave rate voices you have people have like really good baritones soprano voices like really distinctive you know marvin gay martha and the vandellas you know all these great singers you know are just unbelievable Eddie Kendricks, you know, <laughs> I can go on and on about these guys, but uh, yeah, there's something about that stuff that always draws me in, you know, as a songwriter, I always look at that stuff to kind of give me a base, you know, of what to do. And then, and then funk, funk is big, like for me, like a part band, like Parliament Funkadelic is a basis of all hip hop, yeah. like all, all hip hop samples from them, you know, like. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, they did so much really good work uh, the, 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 the 25 years that they were operating and they're still operating. Uh, they just created so many grooves. They're almost like all American hip hop, the early hip hop from the 80s and 90s. They're going to like the Chronic and Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre, NWA, all those guys, you know, Public Enemy. They were all taking loops from Parliament Funkadelic songs. So, and that's classic funk, and it's really technical and very, you know, you know, it's got rock, it's got psychedelia, it's got all these things, and you know, then classic soul too. But so, yeah, I think those genres always move. Is that sometimes you're waiting for the next big, like you never saw another Led Zeppelin or another Who or another Allman Brothers? It seems like those bands kind of. There's not a lot of bands that are playing that like that. You know, you had bands like, you know, Pearl Jam and Nirvana and Soundgarden. But, yeah. But, you know, there's there's a company that's like Coldplay and U2, but they're still, they're kind of, they're not new. You know, where are the big bands like that? It seems like we're not in that age anymore. Yeah, it's very true. Um, but, you know, maybe everything turns around. So it depends on if somebody really has a love for that stuff and then shows a different angle on it. They usually happen. Nobody saw Nirvana. Or Kirk Cobain coming when he came, he came out of nowhere. Everybody thought that genre was gone, and then he came out. And then Eddie Vedder came with Pearl Jam, and everybody thought 
you know, that kind of punk grunge thing. They thought that was dead with the clash and then it came back. So you never know with music that everything kind of spins around. hundred <laughs> percent. So, it so, literally goes in the opposite direction. And what do you think about like the future of music? Are you like integrating, you integrate like Latin music, but have you thought about integrating like hip hop or EDM or trance or into, into your style, any other genres? Do you know what? With I, I, I would never say never to anything. Um, I'm currently like, I'm obviously like, I'm currently the way that my music's going now, but I would, um, yeah, I would definitely welcome like adding in maybe a bit of like EDM or a bit of rap, a bit of like, I would say that my new song has got a bit of a, um, has got a bit of a like a more of an R and B feel as well to it, cool. as well as having still like the Latin um pop undertones. I would say that it's kind of got a bit more of an R and B feel as well. So yeah, I, I'm I'm definitely like I'm definitely open to exploring my music. I I don't believe that you should box yourself in one thing. I I. I believe that you should have like a basis of it, of what you're about because obviously you know you don't want to alienate your fan base, but at the same time you know it's always good to explore a little bit. Yeah, if you look at an artist like David Bowie, he kind of always his audience realized that he was always going to change. <laughs> you know, he he was one of these guys he would actually be able to come out like Ziggy Stardust and then do the Thin White Duke and then do Aladdin Sane and then do like all these characters. And so, so he kind of created a, 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 a structure for himself where people kind of anticipated that he wasn't going to stay as a, yeah. he was actually going to change. Uh, and, and so he actually would, I mean, Ziggy started us to the Thin White Duke. I mean, he went from doing hard rock to doing like writing with Luther Vandross. Um, so it shows like a big artist like that was so really you know great at crossing boundaries i mean he was playing with hard rockers and then was playing having luther vandross singing on like young americans and stuff so that is that's very adventurous that's i'm always looking for artists that that go that far you know because i think that is really cool when an artist can do that definitely it's always good to push the boundaries yeah, I think Bowie gives a really good example, I think, of how far you can go creatively. Um, you kind of play characters and have stagecraft and just the, the way you used to perform. And, uh, you know, like Freddie Mercury did the same thing. It's like a very um, theatrical performance. Um, yeah, and then you have you have obviously like the king of pop, the Michael Jackson. Yeah, he's very theatrical too, you know, because, you know, he just grew up in a stage family that basically since he was a kid, he was doing acting, did a whiz. I mean, he was doing all these things where he was kind of multi-talented. You know, he's a singer, songwriter, a dancer, an actor. And so he brought that, that he always had a character. You know, his off-the-wall image, yeah. his thriller image, his bad image. It was like every album had an image, had a stagecraft to go with it. And, and that that's kind of... Some you know pop stars, Madonna still does that, and there's some pop stars. Lady Gaga does it. She does kind of a Bowie thing. Um, yeah. 
Exactly, Madonna, Lady Gaga, all of them. Yeah, they all still do that. I always like to see artists that do. I think Lady Gaga is really like in a Bowie tradition, as a female kind of Bowie maybe, you know, doing some very theatrical stuff, which is really cool. A hundred percent. Like Lady Gaga, when she first came out to the like the artist that she is now, it's completely different. Yeah, she changes like Bowie. That's I really like. I like the fact that she kind of took that on from a female side. And- a Bowie kind of yeah, and you always and you're always like anticipating. Like, you always anticipating what's her next move. Yeah, she's got her audience kind of queued up to not expect her to keep on doing the same song. You know. Yeah. Which is, if you're exactly. an artist, you gotta love that because if you're able to, I can creatively go any direction, and I don't have to keep on singing my hit from ten years ago. I don't have to keep on doing that. I can actually come out and do something different, and it'll sell. I think that's a really good place to be in. <laughs> if that's what you like. I mean, I think some artists, you know, you know, don't want to do that. They just want to keep on playing like Hotel California over and over and over again. <laughs> but um, and that's there's a place for that. There are bands that just want to hear, your fans that just want to hear that. And that that's what you do. But I think as a musician, I, I think it's cool to be able to, to grow. Because you know, as a person, you grow. And you would think that an artist is going to want to do something different than what they did 10 years ago or five years ago. Yeah. Oh, I like me being a performer, like I always love to do something new. But at the same time, like I don't mind incorporating like um, one or two of like my old, like my old songs, those that I know that my audience are going to appreciate. Yeah. But I, I, but I, I love, I love always changing up my set and adding like new songs because it just it's just so refreshing yeah because you don't want to get stuck you know some bands get stuck on their greatest hit like for the last like a band might be you know they go through a fit the greatest hits, hits version of themselves um, and then there's yeah. like so, so many <laughs> You know, and that's all they're doing, like a journey. You know, they'll keep on just playing the same songs they did in the 80s over and over again. And they're like not doing anything new. And you're like, okay, well, that's where you are in your career. But that can be kind of mind numbing. <laughs> True. I mean, like for me, for example, like I do love Mariah Carey. And I would love, like, if I was to go to one of her concerts, I'd love to hear her new stuff. But then also there's like old classics which I would just die to hear, like Hero, um, like Make It Through the Rain. Like these are like some of these are like timeless songs for me that I feel that when artists have like, like a song or a couple of songs which have been like huge successes, you kind of need to always include it in your set because your fans appreciate the song so much that, you kind of owe it to them and you owe it to your song to keep on performing yeah, it I think, and keeping I think, it alive. Yeah, Prince had to kind of deal with that because, you know, he knew everybody wanted to hear Purple Rain. He knew everybody wanted, yeah, to, hear, like everybody, wants to hear 1999. That song will never die. <laughs> yeah, you know, they want, everybody wants to hear 1999. They want to hear Purple Rain. They want to hear When Doves Cry. But the man had like a thousand songs in the catalog. And he was very creative and he wanted to, you know, move into jazz, move into all kinds of things. And so, you know, he went through phases where he did not want to do 
Purple Rain. And I saw sh- shows where you know, I actually saw Prince where he wouldn't do it because he's like, I don't want to do that because I'm in a different place. And I respect that when he was doing it because he was in a different place. And he was doing different stuff. But, you know, he always ended up having to go back to it because his fans, you know, on a big scale, if he wanted to make enough money, he had to do it. Um, but, you know, I can understand his frustration when he's like, you know, I wrote that in the 80s and it's the 2010s and I really don't want to play it tonight. <laughs> you know? But, um, yeah, I can understand both ways. Yeah. But, yeah, it's like it's interesting when you're an artist, you know, you have the obligation to your fans and then the obligation to yourself. You have to kind of balance it. Yeah, exactly. You need to just you need to balance it in the right way. Yeah. I mean, I think your fans sometimes if you're in a totally different phase, they can understand you're going a different way, you know. And if if it's to the to the, you know, the point of what you do is like art and if something doesn't fit with the direction you're in you might not be able to really make it fit. Um, but, you know, it depends on what kind of artist, how you how you want to handle it. Because you never know where your head's at. You know, as an artist, you get in these different phases, you get in a different mode, and you're like, okay, I'm cool with doing the old stuff, or I'm not. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's very you know, and it really. I guess it depends. <laughs> I, I guess it depends as well, like, emotionally, what it, it makes you feel as well. Because sometimes music like music can be so personal to the artist that sometimes it's just too difficult to yeah well if you don't have the the feeling that makes that song work right if you feel that i'm not into this song and if i do the performance it's not gonna it's gonna be a bad performance then you're gonna like i don't want that in my catalog of of, like i'm not into that song right now and if i do it it's gonna be very half-hearted and why do that yeah. And so then you kind of like, yeah. I'm not going to do it. I felt like Prince was in that mode sometimes where he's like, I'm not into it. I don't feel it. I'm not going to do it. But if he felt it and he felt good about it that night, then he would do it. It, it was kind of like, it depends on where he was, you know. Which I think it's cool that he would do that. You know, he was big enough that he could do it. <laughs> yeah, he was. He was Prince. Yeah. No one's going to argue with He's Prince. like, you know what? I can play guitar so good or keyboard so good that you're not going to really care if I play Purple Rain because I got so many other songs I can play. <laughs> you know, maybe you want to hear something from Sign of the Times. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I think it's interesting uh, what, what musicians can do today. So what do you think about the way that we're able to, like, put out music on Spotify and all these streaming platforms compared to, like, in the old days, the only way you could get out is you had to have a record contract. You had to have vinyl. You had to have a tape. You had to have a CD. Um, what do you think about that? I I personally think that I personally think that is great. Um, I think that, that it it makes you it makes music more accessible. Um, the way that, for example, like I can be in a club and I'm going to hear a song that I've never heard before. And I'll just quickly take my phone out, I'll Shazam it, and automatically I find the song and I can download it from like Spotify or um, add it on my playlist on um, Apple Music. Um, so I just think that I just think that the way that music has become so much more accessible is great. I guess the flip side of it, I've talked to some bands that are like, well, 
you know, the 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 Spotify's and the Apple Music, you know, title, they're kind of like radio stations, and you don't really make a lot of money from from them. They get you out there, and then they give you opportunities to make money as a musician by performing, by selling merch, by merchandising, by licensing. Didn't really make a lot of money. Um, they had to play. They had to tour to make money. Because Do you know what I I <laughs> I completely I completely agree with that. Um, obviously, like we have with with them um, streaming and stuff, like the money's not as good. However, I feel that with the rise of streaming and the rise of music being so much more accessible, it's allowed independent, like unsigned artists, to kind of break through without having to have like the conventional record deal yeah. and all of that. Yeah, it's a lot of new artists out um, there. There's no gate. Um, yeah, exactly. It, it kind of, it, it helps that independent artist to kind of break through. And sometimes it's like, you know, because obviously me, must, me being an independent artist, I get asked a lot of the time how I feel about like the streaming and stuff like that. And you know what? It has its plus pros and its cons but i i feel that maybe that the the pros slightly outweigh the cons because it's allowed people like me to kind of develop myself as an artist and put myself out there without having to feel pressurized um by a label or having to alter who i am in order to fit like yeah. i mean a contract that i'm obliged yeah to. In the old days is like record company give you like three strikes you got three albums to do if they don't make it you're done <laughs> and they give you an advance you do your three albums and it took like three albums and then you found out well you're not gonna make it and then you're done um and so so yeah. but in this world you you're you're more independent you can kind of drive your own career you can drive what your image is going to be you don't have to meet those goals of that contract um Exactly. And then you can, and then, you know, you can then after approach labels and you'll have a leverage to discuss the contract. You'll, you'll have the ability to, to debate a contract, to kind of get a contract that you're happy with as well as the record label, because you're going to have behind you already your own fan base, your own style that you've created. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, cause, I mean, I, I, I'm a, I was a SoundCloud artist, and then I got picked up to do these podcasts, and the podcast that my mom is a part of Spotify, so I actually get paid by Spotify to do this. <laughs> and the interesting thing is, like, I'm a musician, and I, I, you know, I, I'm a producer. I would love to just make all my money from doing that, but I actually make more money doing this. <laughs> but you see that. <laughs> You see, that's the thing. You, this is what I say. You should not underestimate. Do not underestimate the power of streaming. And also, I find that with like with the streaming and like with, obviously with Spotify and stuff like that, I feel like it 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 allows you to kind of connect with other artists as well. Yeah. Because you constantly have like the the Spotify radar list. Well, your playlist, the new yeah. Music Monday, yeah. I mean, it's, new music well, you Friday. Get, yeah, like, you get exposed to a lot of artists, and then like the, what I'm doing here with this podcast, I've talked to over 35 artists, and a couple of them I'm actually getting ready to collaborate with. 
And, you know, yeah. through this podcast, I've actually, you know, collaborated with a couple artists to put out some, some material. Um, I got a distribution deal with a record label where I was able to kind of, you know, say I'm indie. You know, I have, you know, these followers on this show. I got like 20,000 following here, 80,000 on SoundCloud. But I was able to kind of show that. But I kind of wanted to do what I want. And so I can put, put out yeah. whatever I want, however I want to do it. And I just have a distribution deal. And so they don't really control what I put out. They like, as long as it's good quality, they put it out. Um, and that's exactly where I wanted to be. And, and it's really interesting that, you know, like I said, I make more money on my podcast than I do for my music, but I'm able to still support my music and I still have releases coming out. Um, so that's, you know, you can do what you want in this world in ways that you never thought you could do. <laughs> Yeah, you, you you can you know what? As long as you've got drive, you can make it work. Yeah, it's just interesting because right now I'm trying to put together something where um, I'm gonna get some of the people who are on the show to actually do like a Facebook Live like concert where I'm planning in stages of having people who've been interviewed on the show to do a Facebook Live concert. And they'll do like a unplug from their own home studio and then be on a live yeah. stream. I've got like two two of the artists I've talked to signed up for 2020 to do that. And so, um, um, you know, that's the old, that's just like the nature of this business now that you can, you can go and set up something and, you know, I'm going to have somebody like in Sweden playing in their home studio, another person in Atlanta playing from their studio. And if I'm lucky, I'll get the, a band in London to do it as well. So, you know, you can do all kinds of things now. And that you would have had to have some big tour promoter do it or all this stuff. And I'm not, I don't have that overhead. <laughs> exactly. And now, yeah. but now because of like, because of like streaming and because of things like Facebook and Instagram lives, all of this becomes so much more accessible and so easy. And it allows you to kind of build a network with people that like back, like a, even a couple of years ago, you would never have been able to, you yeah, it would have cost really you thousands of dollars with. to try to book something that could get somebody in London and somebody in Sweden to be on the same feed. You could, you know, have to pay money to do that. And I don't have to pay to do that. Yeah. <laughs> and so I can create content <laughs> and put it out there because the technology on our phones and the net has gotten so good that we have this community. And this is where you can take advantage um, as an artist in a producer or just a marketing person or entertainer, you're like, wow, there's all these things like tools and a lot of them are free. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, I can yeah. use this free tool and I can do a concert, you know, and then you can create a Patreon and somebody could pay you, you know, to go and interview people, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like you never know. I mean, it's like, so you have all these things you can do that you start getting income streams from stuff that never was a job, <laughs> you know, yeah, that was never, it was never something that could even be considered. Yeah, a job. <laughs> or a way to make, do anything, you know. It's just a creative enterprise that happens to make money. <laughs> and then you can keep, you know, you, you have to have some way of, of being able to continue doing what you do. You have a day job that helps you, or you have a system that helps you, or you have free resources that help you. And, you know, the way the net is today, the artists can do a lot of cool things. You know, the fact that we have this app, you know, I, I, I talk to bands all over the world. I'm talking to a band in South Africa in a couple of weeks. Uh, I've talked to somebody That's in insane. Sweden last week. 
it's just amazing. It's to crazy. Me. It is. It definitely is. It, it's. It's just. It kind of opens up your eyes to a whole new world. Yeah, just because you know, again, the cool thing about this app is like, um, you know, we're we push out to eleven platforms. We're linked to Spotify, so we can actually tie your hyperlink to your artist profile, and then people can click on your Spotify profile and actually get to your music. They could get to your YouTube profile from this podcast. If there's a hyperlink I can add, I can create a high highlight on Instagram. And when you hit the highlight, it'll go right to Spotify's version of the podcast. And you'll be able to hear this podcast by just clicking on a, a link on a highlight on Instagram. So the integration with Instagram and Spotify is really, really powerful. and can be used to kind of push you as an artist, which a lot of people have like been surprised about the, the level of integration and the fact that you can do that. And, you know, we, we don't charge, you know, we do really long form interviews that some folks on the net charge a like hundred dollars for 15 minutes. Um, yeah. Uh, and we decided that we just like to talk to artists and we'll figure out a way to get the money on the back. end. <laughs> so, you know, if you, if you don't care about the money, the money will come to you anyway. <laughs> That's true. That's true. You just got to keep persevering. Yeah. Well, I, my whole thing is I like to talk to musicians because I'm a musician and I want to hear what other people say about what they're doing. And um, so it's, it's really cool that, that, that you were able to take some time to talk to us. And as you work on projects, if you, if you, do you have a full album that you're working on or are you going to just continue to release singles? Uh, I'm I'm currently um, in the process of just like releasing singles, but they all belong to an EP which is called Broken Ice, which I'm hoping to kind of release um, in the middle of next year. Oh, so these singles are going to be part of like an EP that comes out in 2020? Yeah, exactly. That's cool. You know, the, the way people are, to, I mean, I've been releasing singles since May on my uh, distribution contract. And I have the ability to do a record, but but I'm kind of holding off on doing a record uh, until I kind of get the vibe of like what the record should be. And uh, yeah, I've got an idea I agree about what I should do, but I'm kind of like records don't sell as well. And so I'm trying to come up with like a reason to make a record and then put the right collection of songs together to be in that record. So. I think it's nice, like, at the beginning to kind of release, like, a single at a time in order to get your fans engaged and, um, yeah, just for them to kind of understand you more as an artist. And, like, my my aim after I release my EP is to then hopefully be able to create a whole album. But I wanted to kind of release... Uh, one single at a time because I wanted to keep giving my fans something fresh every kind of every kind of six to eight weeks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's good to get on the And I wanted them to, yeah. yeah, and I just kind of wanted them to come on the journey with me because it's it's literally a journey of discovery for me as well. Yeah, it's like you got it. Like a lot of times, like albums have a theme. Like I grew up with albums, you know, classic albums going back to like Sgt. Pepper and, you know, and, uh, you know, like the famous uh, 
like albums from bands like Yes and Genesis and you know, you know, rock operas like Tommy and Quadrophenia. So albums that had themes or like Pink Floyd, The Wall, you know, the re- yeah. you get a, an album has to be like an event. It has to have a meaning. It has to kind of flow. And so I. A hundred, a hundred percent. I totally agree with you on that. Yeah. So if you're going to put out a record, like a lot of hip hop bands actually put out like, you know, Kendrick Lamar, like Butterfly, you know, that that has a theme. It seems like a lot of hip hop bands have been very successful with the album format um, because they they use it like the way the Beatles did. Um, but it seems like yeah. a lot of pop bands have kind of not been able to do that in this age uh, as much. It seems like hip hop bands have done to kind of take in that genre and and kind of run with it. In the, in the you know the, the traditional album format bands have not been as successful with it in this era. But you know, there's always somebody. I, just, that tries I think, it. like, I, I think that I think it's very true what you said. Um, an album needs to an album needs to have like a core. It needs to have like a cohesiveness. It needs to be like a collection of one thing, because, like, as a, as, as a singer myself and an artist, when I go to buy an album, I go to buy a collection of songs that if I put, like, song one to kind of 15 on, they're going to all make sense. Mm-hmm. I don't want to, like, unless I'm going to go and buy, like, you know, you know, 2019's uh, best-selling songs, um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go and buy an album that I want to hear a collection, like an Adele album, for example. Like I know exactly what I'm gonna be getting. I know that it's gonna be a collection of songs that, as I as I play one after the other, they're all gonna fit together and they're all gonna make sense. Yeah, well, that kind of goes back to like Sgt. Pepper's or the White Album. They- the Beatles put these albums together to actually really float. And they didn't necessarily have a real cohesive theme. I mean, Sgt. Pepper's doesn't have a necessarily have a cohesive theme that the songs go together. Um, it's yeah. like a psychedelic theme, but it's not as clear as something like Tommy or like Genesis concept albums or albums from Yes or stuff. But it's the start of this idea of having an album that has a theme, even though the songs aren't totally interrelated. I mean, some of them seg into yeah. the next one and they kind of seg together because they're kind of written to kind of flow together. But the meaning is not as cohesive as something like Yeah. I think like, you can do an album like the way Sgt. Pepper's is. And that's like the classic way of stringing an album together. That the songs don't have to necessarily mean anything together, but they have to kind of work together. Exactly. They need to just, they need to be able to support each yeah. other. It's the really best example, I think, of a pop band is the Beatles did that really good. They, they're really awesome at putting together songs that necessarily don't, maybe wouldn't, you wouldn't have thought they would be together, but when you hear them together, it just works. And that's their, yeah. the brilliance of their band was they were able to take an album with like, like a Sgt. Pepper's or like, even if you listen to Abbey Road. You know, Abbey Road probably gets closer to being a concept because things flow together even more than Sgt. Pepper. But yeah, I mean, yeah. I think that's a really good roadmap for any pop artist looking at structure. Even though it's old, 
it's still a valid lesson. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, but some of the most, like, practically the most successful artists are those back in the days. Like, you know, you even though, God rest his soul, Michael Jackson's passed away now, his music yeah. will never die. The same with Prince, their music will never die. Yeah. George Michael, you yeah. know, all of these artists that, you know, as you know, as artists ourselves, we need to look at them and take a leaf out of their book. The fact that they're able to still have a legacy, even though they're no longer around, is something which is yeah. so admirable. Because nowadays, like the 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 career span of of like new singers is so small. Yeah, like you have an artist who could have been out last year and and. Now in 2019 or going into 2020, you can't remember who they are. Yeah, and, it's kind of like yeah, that, just, that's kind yeah, of, you don't have the longevity. <laughs> yeah, but then you know what? Maybe that's because maybe that's because we're messing with the recipe that works. You know, maybe maybe because we're not using the same recipes that they that they did back in the day. Maybe that's why. You well, know, I think part of it is like actually recording like live in the studio and using like real yeah road you know where you had to at some of the big studios like olympia and you know the the bands like you know hendrix and stuff they put a lot of effort into what they did you know they put amazing amounts of money in budgets in Gonna be something somebody's gonna last a long time. It's kind of like what you put into it. Um, when you put that much effort into something, then it tends. You're always gonna. You're always gonna. All your work is always gonna be a reflection of the amount of effort you put in, especially music. Yeah, I mean, when you when you're putting that, that level of effort, you're using really good equipment that makes really good sound, uh, really good instruments, and then people giving you the budget to take like three, four, or five months to do a record. You know, uh, it's not surprising that records like that are still listened to. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's like why I I use the the equipment I use, like the Moogs and the Rollins and. The, Wurlitzers and Hammond organs, just because there's a certain sound from that stuff you can't get from the modern stuff. And if you want to do that type of sound and you want to perform live and you're a keyboardist, you're kind of like, you got to use a real keyboard. <laughs> yeah, um, 100%. So, you know, it's like a guy with a Fender, you got to use a real Fender or you got to use a Radicaster or a Les Paul. There's no substitute for like a really good guitar. Um, so I think that's what some of the folks, if they do everything in a box and, and, then, and then they wonder why the next year nobody wants to hear that box, it's kind of like software. <laughs> it gets obsolete. It's moved it moves on. on. So, but if you wanted to do something classic, then maybe if you use a Moog or a Wurlitzer or a Steinway or Fender, you know, you're going to hear something that maybe is going to last longer. Uh, Definitely. But... um. Yeah, I, I enjoyed talking to you, and uh, we're going to put all your links up, and these will start to come out tonight. 
uh, I'll send you them as they come Amazing. out, and I'll push you Thank on you our so much. our social media. We get we push all the artists that we talk to on our social media accounts, and we have a bunch of different accounts on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Blogger and Anchor itself. So. Thank you for coming on the show. If, if When your EP comes out, we'll talk to you. Let us know when it comes out. We can have another show. Amazing. Thank you okay. so much for having me on your show. Thank you Thanks. so much. Have a lovely evening. Thank you very much. Take care. So let me see, everybody. Bye. Let me see. Make sure you listen to her. Download, buy everything she sells on her site, and download and purchase her songs, not just stream them. Um, that's always cool. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye.